Good morning to everybody. So I don't know what your thoughts are on this. When I was reading the first reading and praying about it this week, it occurred to me, I think the first reading really lays bare what is perhaps the biggest issue in society and even in world history. And you're going to look back at that and say, what? He's promising a feast of rich, juicy food and wine, and how does that lay bare the greatest problem of society in history? Well, I think I'd like to put it into a context. Let's take a look at the world situation right now. A few years ago, we had all of the chaos in our society stemming from George Floyd's murder. We had COVID and lockdowns. We have, oh, a little over a year and a half ago now, Russia invaded Ukraine and there's this ongoing war. And now we have another frightful war. And it seems like the world is spinning out of control. And not only the world outside, but even our society. When we look at our own country, we look and we see so much turmoil. And it brings to mind when I was thinking and praying, I, a quote from John F. Kennedy came to mind. I'm going to credit, now this is not for me to denigrate JFK because I don't think he was necessarily a bad guy or anything, but he gave voice to one of the great heresies of all time. And I don't recall the exact words, but essentially he said, the problems, uh, the problems mankind faces are man-made and can be solved, resolved by man, okay? Our problems are made by us and they can be fixed by us. That's one approach. And all he was doing was giving voice to the spirit of his age. It was common utterance in, his, in the 20th century. Mankind is capable of anything. Mankind is capable of reaching the moon. We are capable of anything, and therefore, if there are problems out there, then we can fix them. But there's another way that we can look at the world, too, which is the perspective of St. Paul. And I think this is what's been missing for a long time. We do not wage war against flesh and blood against the principalities and powers of this world. St. Paul's vision was that we are in a spiritual war and we have to be aware of the fact that in a spiritual war, there's more than what just meets the eye. There are angels and demons involved. We are involved in a cosmic battle for the salvation of soul, for the spirit of the world. And if according to that vision, which is the Catholic vision, we cannot, by our own efforts, without the grace of God, fix the problems. And sometimes when we look at the world and we see random acts of violence, and we see things that are just inconceivable, we say, where does this come from? How can people be so evil? How can we have such division? How can we have so much difficulty understanding one another? We have to take into consideration yeah, obviously we are largely at fault, but there's more than just us. And if we don't take into consideration the fact that we are in a spiritual war with spirits, 
and therefore we need spiritual weapons, then we will watch society continue to crumble around us and we will revert to barbarity and paganism, just like the good old days before Jesus. Okay? So what does all this have to do with the, the, the first reading? Well, the first reading, which I can't find right now, let me just flip right back and find the first reading. It says the following. It's from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will provide for all people a feast of rich food and choice wines. What is this mountain? That mountain he was talking about was Mount Zion, Jerusalem. It is Jerusalem. And he says, On this mountain... The Lord will provide for all peoples a, rich, a feast of rich food and choice wines. What is that rich food and choice wine that is provided on Jerusalem? It is the Eucharist. He was prophesying there will come a day that we will be given by the Lord the bread of angels and the wine that gives rise to purity. He will give his very body and blood. Not just, I mean, if we ate the Eucharist just for the caloric intake, we would be really, very badly off. You know, we were getting maybe 10 calories max out of what you receive in the Eucharist. So it's clearly not going to be the physical nourishment that we get from the Eucharist. But it, when we receive the Eucharist, we are receiving God himself. We are receiving the very life of God. And we are receiving everything we need to, to wage war in this spiritual combat that we are engaged in, whether we like it or not, whether we choose to accept it or not, whether we choose to believe in it or not. God is giving us the nourishment that we need. He is giving us His very life. And He says something else in this, um, in this reading. He says, On this mountain, Jerusalem, He will destroy the veil that veils all peoples. The web that is woven over all nations, he will destroy death forever. And that is what, precisely what Jesus did <coughs> in the crucifixion. Now, do we still die? Yes. Physically, do we die? Do some people choose to fall into eternal death? Yes. Sadly, that happens far too often. But Christ in the crucifixion, he came precisely to destroy death, to destroy eternal death, and to give us the means to eternal life. So that if we choose to live according to the grace of God, if we choose to fight the spiritual fight using the spiritual weapons that He has given us, this life will just be the antechamber to an eternal life that will continue. And no matter what the devil or the world wants to throw at us, whatever the suffering is or the cross is or whatever it is, Christ, if we choose to unite it to Christ's passion, then it can become victorious. It can become the means of our sanctification. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, trials, whatever, misunderstanding, all of those can become things that we unite to God, we offer up to God, and they can turn into salvation and redemption. I can offer up my difficulties, and I can save souls that I don't even know who they are. They can be on the other side of the planet, and I can help those people get to heaven by my prayers and my voluntary sacrifices, by voluntarily uniting myself. And that is how Christ overcomes this web of death that, the, that Isaiah speaks of. Okay, well where do you and I encounter all this stuff that I'm talking about? You and I encounter it right here in Mass. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about the idea. You've probably heard that in the Mass, we are living, you know, we are reenacting and reliving the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all the Paschal mystery. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but like Jesus in the Last Supper did that before he was crucified, before he was suffering. And it's like, well, wait a minute, how did he do it before? Uh, it's like he already was the redemption in the Last Supper before he even got crucified, or what? How does that all work? Well, the reality is, Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection began at the beginning of the Last Supper. It was like he was basically beginning a long Mass. You think my homilies are long? Well, Jesus' Mass lasted from Holy Thursday all the way until the resurrection. All of that period was Mass. All that period was the living out of the mystery of Jesus beginning. He began his preaching in the Last Supper. He gave us the Eucharist and he began to enter into his suffering. He died and on the third day he rose again. All of that is what we celebrate in Mass. And this is the place where we receive the nourishment and the grace and the spiritual weapons that we need to do battle in a world that is at war whether or not we choose to accept it. And this, I think, is something we need to take into consideration right now because the bishops, a couple years ago, I'm sure this was totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, the bishops, when they did a Pew Research study, realized that only 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. 30%. And this is the foundation of everything in our faith, is what takes place in the Mass and the Eucharist. Everything else is based on what happens in the Mass and the Eucharist. And only 30% of us believe in it. So the bishops decided we're going to start a three-year period of Eucharistic revival. And how providential is that? Since we began this Eucharistic revival, two wars have been launched. Well, where is it that we're going to find the grace to bring about conversion, to bring about reunification, to bring about the graces that the world needs. It's not only going to come from our efforts. I'm sorry, JFK, but for all that we can win wars, we will not convert hearts. We will not bring about reconciliation. We will not bring about peace without the grace of God. It is in the Mass, it is in this Eucharistic revival that we are living right now. And my invitation is going to be, let's live this Eucharistic revival deeply. How often, how easily do we sometimes show up late to Mass or skip Mass because of a soccer game or because I'm traveling or whatever the case may be? How often do I spend going out of my way? Like, how often do I just make an effort to show up 10 minutes early to Mass and just spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist in front of the tabernacle? This is the center from where everything else flows. And this is what the Eucharistic revival is about. So my cordial invitation is let's be conscious. Let's not waste this period of grace. The world needs us right now. People in Israel, people in Ukraine, people around the world who are suffering, they need us. They need our prayers. And you and I, in the Mass, and in our Eucharistic adoration, we have power to bring God's grace and comfort to the people around the world that are in need. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit,